Our first reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that it may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And, like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in me will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, and returning to the quote, the stone that the builders rejected and has, has become the very head of the corner, a stone that makes them stumble and a stone that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Our second lesson is from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, then you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then because of Believe me, because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, 
the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. Amen. One of the uh, churches in Bedford, where I live, recently got a new organ. Uh, there was an opening concert. Liz and I went to it and enjoyed it. And afterwards, chatting with someone from another church, I asked them what they thought of the organ. They made a few comments and then said, of course, our organ's better than theirs. We have three manuals. This only has two. What is this Bloomsbury's got? Three. My dad's car's better than yours. Our house is better than yours. Our country's better than yours. Ours arose at heaven's command. Our religion is better than yours. I wonder, would it be true that at some level, most of us do believe something like that about something? That something we are part of, our way of doing things, is better than others. We have a faith in democracy, maybe, or capitalism as better ways the best ways of doing politics or economics. A faith may be that our religion is best. Jesus is the way. No one comes to the Father except through him. Our way is better than yours. Thing is, in our society, there are various individuals and groups all holding different views and amongst them folk who genuinely believe their way is best. And not all of them have been petty or silly. Some have worked hard at the issues, reaching different understandings and come to a careful conviction about what they think is the best way in economics or politics or religion or whatever. I've spent most of my working life now in and around universities as chaplain, lecturer, policy advisor for the Church of England. Incidentally, it was fun watching a bishop's face when they realized they were being advised by a Baptist minister. And now, as a grumpy old man doing research at the University of Winchester, some early steps on that journey took place here 25 years ago. So thank you for that opportunity. Being in universities as a representative of faith, Religion, Christianity, can evoke a range of responses. For universities tend to be places of many views, where others hold 
contrary views to mine, and do so out of equally carefully worked out understandings as I hope mine are. And sometimes those who believe different things from me tell me so. And sometimes they tell me that their way is better than mine. So, for example, there are those who think religion has no place in a university. Reason, not faith or revelation, is the only resource we should use in seeking to understand the world. And some think religion is dangerous. It's salutary to think that the young student, young adult student, probably cannot remember a pre-9-11 world. They have been brought up in a time when religion and violence are interconnected. Some who hold such views would seek to remove chaplaincy and religion from the university. Better to have a world without religion. Imagine. And even amongst those who value religion, there are those who hold different views from mine. Some of them are Christians. Christians do sometimes disagree. Some are members of other faiths. And some tell me their way is right and mine is wrong. Our religion is better than yours. And what's true of universities is true of the wider world. We live in a world of difference. Actually a deeply divided world and a deeply divided society, where people hold different views on religion, Brexit, different views on refugees, aid, globalization, themes for this year's Christian Aid Week, which we are in at the moment. How to live with difference becomes a rather pressing matter, especially in a world where difference can lead to violence. It's terrible violence, creating millions of the refugees Christian aid is concerned about. One of the passages that the lectionary suggests for today is Acts chapter 7, which is about difference and violence. It features Stephen, who had become a follower of Jesus, performed great wonders in the name of Jesus, gave a speech setting out who Jesus is, and in the process told the Jews they were wrong. Murderers. In effect said his religion was better than theirs. And violence ensued, with Stephen being stoned to death. Another passage set for today we read, 1 Peter, which addresses questions about living with difference. 
It was written to probably small groups of Christians towards the end of the first century. Christians surrounded by groups of people holding different views. They were in a society where there were many religions, worldviews, where Christianity was not being widely accepted. Indeed, some suggest that part of the background to the epistle is actual or threatened persecution. And some say, no, it wasn't as bad as that. It was more that Christians were ostracized, so they couldn't get ahead in business, for example. What were those Christians surrounded by difference to do? That's what 1 Peter is addressing How were Christians to live when they were surrounded by people holding different views from theirs? Were they to proclaim, our way is best, you are wrong, or pick up a stone, or what? And one thing they are told in 1 Peter of key importance is that they are to put Jesus first. They are to be obedient to Jesus through whom God has chosen them and through whom they have been born anew to a living hope, says 1 Peter chapter 1. Through Jesus they have been made a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. To Jesus they are to come and build their lives on him, the living stone, the word made flesh, who was with God and was God in who we see God now as then. As we sang, may Jesus Christ still lead us. So 1 Peter speaks of the centrality of Christ and of the place of Christ's people in his work. You are a chosen race. And so the epistle affirmed those early Christians, sought to strengthen them in faith. They were God's own. Better than you, perhaps some of them thought, as they looked round at others. But how to live as God's people in a world of difference. Verse 11 begins to address that. Beloved, I urge you to abstain from the desires of the flesh. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God. Be good. In other words, be good. Do honorable deeds. And then we get to verse 13. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme, or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right you shall silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, 
yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Which at first sight may be a turn-off for Baptist dissenters. Certainly is for this one, who might question rather than accept human authority. You remember that, don't you? Anyway, never mind. And some things the epistle uh, takes that accepting authority to mean are definitely for me a turn-off. Uh, slaves obeying masters, for example. Uh, <clears throat> and I wouldn't dare affirm the bit about husbands and wives. <clears throat> Looking that way. And yet, and yet, the words have within them a complexity and tension which are real and enduring and worth exploring. Within them is a call to serve and fear God and a call to honor the human. First things first, fear God. And fear is stronger than honor here. Fear God. And honor everyone for the Lord's sake. And everyone includes those who disagree with you, whose ways in your view are contrary to God's. There is a call here to live in attention, to honor those you believe are wrong, to live with them, get on with them, let them be, which sometimes is easy, exciting even, discovering difference. But sometimes it's a very hard course indeed. Impossible for many of us, I suspect, at times, because the other may offend, hurt, bring anguish and pain. But that is what something of what 1 Peter seems to be saying. Live with difference. It also stresses those early Christians are to conduct themselves honorably, to do honorable deeds, to do good in a messy world of deep disagreement. And that's central to the whole epistle, actually. Doing good in the world. And I'll come back to that. Notice there is no talk here of attacking, belittling, rising up to crush, to reduce others to silence with the power of an argument, or taking a stone and silencing the other forever. Honor the neighbor and do good is the message. In which there might be a dose of expediency, these were small groups of Christians and meeting violence with violence might just not work. But there's also here an exploring of what it means to follow Jesus in a world where people do hold different views and where then as now a Christian view might not gain respect. Do good, the believers are told. Like Jesus, heal, feed, 
free the oppressed, that others may see your honorable deeds. The believers, surrounded by others who see the world differently, are being called not to turn in on themselves, not to become narrow sectarians, but to engage with the world, to live good lives before others, before others who see the world differently. And this actually fits in with deep traditions which go back into the Hebrew Scriptures. Jeremiah 29, for example, where the Jews are in exile in Babylon. They are surrounded by those who have captured them, who are subjugated, subjugating them, who see the world differently. And the word Jeremiah gives is not about attacking or destroying those who see the world differently, but Jeremiah says to the exiles, seek the peace of the city. Seek not just the good of your group, but the greater good of all. Honor the neighbor. There is that within Christianity which says the neighbor is the one who is different. Remember the story Jesus told about a Jew and a Samaritan? Each to each was the other, the one who was different, but the Samaritan honored his neighbor. The call in the epistle is the same, honor the neighbor. Though actually Jesus was more radical than the epistle. Love the neighbor. Love the one who sees the world in a different way. And actually, we all at times need someone holding different views from us to be a good neighbor. I'm deeply grateful to the Muslim carer who sat with my Baptist mum in accident and emergency in Blackburn in the middle of the night last weekend. I hope I would do the same for the Muslim even if they had told me that I am wrong. We need each other. Now, Jesus could actually be pretty confrontational. You vipers brood, he called the Pharisees. But notice that when he really wanted to confront those who hold, held a different view from him, those he thought who thought he was so wrong he should be put to death. He did so not by attacking them or seeking to destroy them, but by loving them. Loving them and giving himself on the cross that his enemies might have life. Honor, love, the other. The one whose view is diametrically opposed to yours. Which says what to us in a world of different views, amongst which are some who would oppose us and even wish we were not part of the scene. 
Well, maybe what we can draw from this is something about trying to live in this messy, difficult, sometimes violent world as those who honor and love the other as far as we can, who will respect the other as a bearer of the image of God, who will seek the peace of the city, the greater good of all, speaking out for what we believe in, maybe speaking strongly at times as Jesus did. And let's be blunt, we can't have people acting out views which says it's all right to drive a car to people on Westminster Bridge or hack hospital computers. Firm action sometimes needs taking. But maybe the epistle says something about having in the mix as we deal with difference that part of fearing God is honoring the other, working together as much as we can, seeking the good of the city, the nation, the world, supporting Christian aid who will help the other, whatever their faith or creed, thus living out what the epistle calls for, lunching with the homeless, taking a stand alongside those who others marginalize, holding meetings, bringing together Christians and Muslims and humanists and others, listening to those with whom we disagree. I refer to things I think you do. Work with the imperfect world out there, with all its diversity, and work in it for the good of the neighbor, the good of the community. And there's actually something very Baptist here. Because one of the early Baptists, Thomas Helwys, writing the 17th century, 17th century, argued for the good of others when he said that there should be freedom to practice faith for Muslims and Jews and heretics, and Baptists, and establishment Christians, all should be free to practice the faith. And thus people like him sought the peace of the city. Thus they took steps towards living creatively with difference, not expecting or wanting their own way all the time, showing there is another way than they put down, involved in our organ, religion, whatever is better than yours. Another way than picking up stones or donning a suicide belt. A way which says we will engage with the world, seeking the good of us all. And maybe, just maybe, in a world where religion is often seen negatively, if we can live it as a force for good, it might even be evangelically winning. Our organ is better than yours. Our God is better than yours. A great big four-manual God is our God. Our God can rumble through creation, drowning out those who follow other ways. But actually we hear God most powerfully, not in a resounding chord, but in a still, small voice, 
croaking on a cross. Father, forgive. A God who seeks the good of those who follow other ways. A God whose way, wherever it is found, in whatever name it is done, is the way to truth and life. Let us pray, and in our prayers I'll use some material from Christian Aid. God of cornerstone and cross, God who calls and sends, God of mysterious ways which reveal light in darkness, God who is other but who comes to us, we thank you for Jesus and the hope we have in him, hope of a future in a house of many rooms. May that hope strengthen us for the present as we follow our calling to be yours. With all your people, we pray for the world, for life in all its fullness, for all creation and all people, especially for those who are suffering. O Christ, our Lord, who came in homelessness, that you might find a home in us, and that everyone would find a home in you. We bring before you at this time all who are homeless, in exile, refugees, or suffering in war. Grant them the sense of being held fast in you. And as we pray that, we think of particular places of suffering. Syria, South Sudan, and others. For those who have suffered this weekend because of the cyber attack on the NHS. We pray too for all who hold authority in this world and for all who would seek to govern for the candidates and parties in our general election. For the church, we pray for this church, its ministers, deacons, volunteers, members, and all who gather here to worship and serve and to seek the peace of this city. O Holy Spirit of love, 
quicken our imaginations that we may feel more deeply for the needs of others. Give us hearts of self-forgetting compassion, which will move us to give from that which you have given us, and to be good neighbors to those both near and far. So we pray for the work of Christian aid, for staff and volunteers here and partners overseas. And we pray for all who seek to relieve suffering and create a more just and loving world. May they and we live lives honoring of the neighbor in love for God and all. In Jesus' name. Amen.